0: Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Stilinski's Home for Wayward Wolves by Owl Post Again, Monstrous Regiment by Terry Pratchett, and the pilot episode, A Firefly. And welcome to episode 45, not your usual family reunion. I'm Alex, and I'm your one, open parentheses, one
1: queer cousin. I'm Freya, and I'm your wine aunt.
2: I'm Macy. And it really doesn't matter which relative I am because I'm hiding out back fixing the Wi-Fi. We are
1: 3 redheaded fantasy authors.
0: And today we're talking about found families, which is one of my favorite tropes. Uh, I love this found family in particular, don't you? I'm sorry, I'm Aww. getting earnest already 10 <laughs> seconds into the episode. Uh, so before we do any more of that, uh, what are we reading, fellow <laughs> serpents?
1: I had been trying to stick to my no adult sci-fi fantasy rule while I finish my work in <laughs> progress, but it has fallen a little bit down on the wayside so that I could read a couple of books that I was quite excited about. I read The House of Sundering Flames by Aliette de Bedard. So this is the third book in her Dominions of the Fallen series about fallen angels and magic and sort of post-apocalyptic Paris It's an excellent trilogy and I very much enjoyed the third book in it, not least because it has two characters who had to get political convenience married in the second book. And now in the third book, they are being stabby political husbands together and they're very cute and political and thirsty for each other. So that was amazing. Important question. Do either of them have wings? One of them is a fallen angel. The other is a Vietnamese dragon prince. They are awesome. The Dragon Prince is often in dragon form for like plot reasons or emotional reasons and it's pretty <laughs> great. I know you enjoy a thing where someone fucks a dragon, Alex, so this could be I up do. your
0: alley. I do enjoy the thing where someone fucks a dragon.
2: <laughs> that is true. Uh, I also One read... day I will get us to do an episode about that. <laughs> One day. One day. I would be down for a dragon episode. We could do that one Temeraire fanfic with the pearl. I, that is actually the one that I was thinking of for the fanfic. Well, <laughs>
1: Elliot has a couple of like shippable dragons, so we could do uh, Vanishers Palace.
2: Hashtag dragon fucking episode. Awesome.
1: Well, after that wonderful planning sidebar,
2: <laughs> I also
1: read An Artificial Night by Seanan Maguire, which is the third book in the October Day series, which I am very slowly, slowly making my way through. And then yesterday I tripped over and accidentally (laughs) started rereading Down to Agincourt, the one million word plus Uh, uh, supernatural AU that I talked about in our epics episode.
2: uh, I probably
1: won't get all the way through. I have a lot of other things to read and write, but there's something very comforting about starting something that's epic is also familiar would you agree i would agree i would agree
2: thank you for leading me into this prayer (laughs) because (laughs) listen friends so what happened was i went on twitter like a month ago being like okay i need to focus on my book and so i need to be consuming things that are like Political intrigue and Slytherins doing trade shenanigans. And long story short, I reread all of Embers uh, it, at our writing retreat after Worldcon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's 700,000 words long, but hey, it's fine, it was a holiday. <laughs> It fine. was a holiday, that's true. I mean, fine. I'm like shaking my head and, and narrowing
0: my eyes at you and fine. doing like the disappointed face, but you're right. It was a it's holiday fine. and that it's is fine. the
1: time
2: to do things like this. Research. That's the true,
1: there was no judgment in the Irish country it house. It was lovely. People
2: could read whatever they wanted. And even when that was god-awful romances. But also this week I have been reading Persona 5 fic, much to my confusion. Uh, specifically, there's one called Sunny with a Chance of Storms, which is a very fanfic. Um, but I love it and for some reason was craving it and it's not even like 20,000 words long so it's like a microfic by my standards and also in actual books with like actual hands. I have been reading Amanda Hackwith's book The Library of the Unwritten which I believe is out by the time this episode goes up. Is I that believe right?
0: so. I think so. It comes out in October Do-de-doo.
2: and this episode should go out at the beginning of October. October 2nd. We are deeply unmoored from time, darling listeners. We are
0: deeply unmoored from time. It comes up October 2nd, is that right? Yes, because I just... Uh, So (laughs) yes, it will have come out last week.
2: Yay! And it is full of disaster queers plopping around the multiverse being chaotic and stabbing things quite a lot, in fact, and then failing to make out can can we just take
0: a moment to giggle at the fact that the sentence that I said was it will have come out last week
2: <sighs> darling <laughs> listeners this is how unmoored have a from worst time we day. are David Tennant
0: <clears throat> next week my book comes out that's how unmoored from time we are that's where we're at Um, like three weeks
2: ago next, yeah, week, next, three weeks th- ago. next Comma, week three weeks ago next week three weeks ago. ago my book came out <laughs> anyway we are feeling also particularly mm. disastrous this week as you may have guessed yes dear we're, listeners.
0: we're all a little bit tired uh anyway so I also read a bunch of things the last couple weeks uh Ooh. my at the writing retreat holiday read was the talisman ring by Georgette Heyer oh I read that there too Yay. yes yes because Freya I- gave us homework yes Freya was yes, like read <laughs> this
2: it's my favorite <laughs> Georgette
0: Hayer. Uh, that was good. Uh, also, this week I was reading the tent poles for the wrong episode, Yeah, yeah, yeah. which was amusing for a hot second until I went, shit, wait, we, re- we rearranged some of the topics that we were doing. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> Uh, oh no. I also for some inexplicable reason fell into MCU fanfiction and was reading like Steve Tony fanfic even though I don't Ugh. particularly care about them but as a ship even like I... Loki
2: in those. though. Why?
0: I have no explanation
2: for why. Literally, just I like Gryffindors. Yeah. It was like potato chips. Like it
0: was there and so I read it and then I read like six more of it. Even though it had no nutritional value for me personally, I tried to, like, once I realized what I was doing, I tried to sort of redirect it and read some Thor Loki, which That's fair. <laughs> at least I care about, like, slightly more, but still not that much. Did you go reread um, Chaos War? Say what? Did you go reread Chaos War? I have never read Chaos War. <gasps>
1: Yes. Okay. simultaneously gasps right. okay all right i mean like sure potato chips nutritional value but also astolette, astolette. oh okay it's astolette well in that case <laughs> i'll check it out then because uh, I
0: do trust Astolet, you know. Yeah, you should. Um, it's a good
2: it's a good fic, Bond.
0: And speaking of good fics, like it seems like we have all been on a rereading favorite fix for mm-hmm. the comfort read thing, which I also did this week. I reread Undiscovered Country, which is a Yuri on Ice Fic, uh, by Shy Sweet Thing. I think that we tent pulled that for the
1: unreliable narrators episode i would believe you if you told me we did i think i think i'm liable in narrators we just did yuri on ice i thought i didn't think we did actually
0: the maybe i don't remember I f- which one is this I f- it's not
1: the rage proof rock right
0: no this is shy sweet thing no? this is hmm. the one where uh yuri and i will not explain this on episode i'll talk to you later about about it I'm, <laughs> okay let's not take up let's our time with me explaining which thing this is snip, 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 um, snip. I also made a skirt this week okay. to wear to my book launch, uh, which means that I have been listening to the audiobook of Game of Kings by Dorothy Dunnett, the first book of the Lyman Chronicles. You're not I getting I me. you're
1: doing this on hard mode. I cannot imagine trying to comprehend Game of Things the first time via audio. Well, I can't read th- it.
0: Like, I tried to read the ebook and I was like, I could focus on like two sentences at a time. It was just like so dense. And every fucking time Francis Lyman opened his stupid mouth, I was like, I don't understand a word you're saying. At least with the audiobook, I can let my not understanding a word he's saying sort of wash over me and then like, and sort of get. Um, implications and contexts from the narrator's like tone of voice <laughs>
1: and, like someone okay, speaking fair. a I just foreign language it, like, three times. which
0: fair- to be fair a lot of times Francis Lyman is speaking a foreign language so listeners. like yeah. legitimate
2: listeners uh, and come then- save me from these two please listeners listeners come in here save me from the, <laughs> the donut. it anyway
0: darling listeners you're... i need an air rescue i'll get you I'm one day, day squad.
1: i'll get you one day i, I only have
0: one more book to tell you about and that's okay. one of the ones that i'm most excited about it's called gentleman's blood a history of dueling by <gasps> barbara holland and it is nonfiction. and i'm a couple Yay! chapters into it it's delightful it's about men stabbing each other
2: okay, i'm in favor of that
0: yeah yeah, right, yeah like yeah. all right oh. let's think. have a fucking episode now yes
1: Yes, but, that was a nice extra long what we're reading to make up for the fact that we didn't have one last time. Actually, we
0: that's about it. standard for the timestamps of how long it takes us to talk about it. We usually spend about 10 minutes. <laughs> ah,
2: darling listeners, welcome to the episode. Welcome to the episode. I have I... some
0: questions. God damn off, it. Macy, I will I do it. I have all
2: these questions, so if you ask these questions, it's all on Freya.
0: Macy opened her mouth and I'm like, nope, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Freya, Macy and I have some questions for you. Shoot. What be a found family? How do you know when you done found one? Is it any different from your garden variety ragtag band of misfits? And if so, how? You have
2: 500 words and two sides of A4.
1: I am just going to default to the porno- pornography defense, oh my which God. is I know it when I see it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, you can tell when you done found a family because you bend down and pick it up off the sidewalk and it's kind of crusty. And yeah. you like wipe it off with something from your pocket and then it's a nickel and you're grand.
0: Right, like that's exactly how it happens, though.
1: So. <laughs> anyway, great episode, guys. Bye. Sure. Done. Perfect. I was having a think about whether there's something to do with uh, an assumed longevity with found family. Mm. Like, can you have a temporary found family that comes together just for a particular purpose or just for a short period? Or is mm. there some implication that you, once you have found these people, they are your people forever?
0: I think more the latter. Like... Because family is a long term thing, you know, family is something that you can count on to be there where you can like have a good hard fight with them, but they still love you afterwards. Yeah, Actually, it's I, also rather... like, I believe
2: yeah. any of the ones that I really buy as a found family, I would believe that they could all fuck off for 10 years and do completely separate things and then show up on your doorstep and be like, hey, give me the couch. And you would.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah, and yeah. they they would be able to reunite as a as in a family reunion, and the dynamics would be similar, mm. and the mm-hmm. affection would be preserved.
2: I feel like there's a lot of like, god damn it, the stupid dream movie with the bomb music, <laughs> Inception. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> You're like bomb. I'm like, oh Inception. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that there's a lot of Inception thick. <laughs> I'm this is going to be one of those point.
1: episodes.
2: <laughs> Listeners, sometimes I lose words, okay?
1: That's right? I will find them
2: all for you. That's we're, what I'm We're All time, finds them for me. I drop them on the floor and Freya found founds, founds them. them. Found Just it. like yep. family. Oh. <laughs> Rewind. Bzzz. There are a lot of inception fics mm-hmm. that rest on the premise of these losers calling one another up after 12 years of not talking to each other and being like, "Oi, come help me kill someone. And then they do because they're buddies. Yeah, and I
0: think that the difference between a found family and a ragtag band of misfits I think the sort of platonic ideal of the ragtag band of misfits is um Robin Hood and the Merry Men because mm. like they they have a common goal and a common purpose and i'm sure in some adaptations they would sort of lean farther on the found family aspect of it but i think in most adaptations it's more just like a group of people who like each other but they're not like committed to each other
1: it's true i think you could i think they have a they have their own motivations and their loyalty is possibly to a goal mm. or to a concept rather than to one another i think you have to have loyalty to one another as one of the driving motivations by at least the yeah. end of the narrative for it to be a found family.
0: Like interpersonal ties and like complex ones across the, the band rather than a bunch of people towards one person or a bunch of people towards a philosophy or a goal. Yeah. Yes Macy is making faces, why?
2: M- M- Macy is, is just suddenly got struck by your description of the Robin Hood as the platonic ideal of Ragtag Bag of Misfits basically as the trash bag round table. Oh, interesting. It is kind of. Right? It is actually
0: yeah. now that you mention it.
2: Yeah. It's like the homeless round table. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it's, it's the round oh. table but with the mirror being held up in terms of legality. Cuz the whole point of yeah. the yeah. round table is that it's that whole noble bright, you know, we are doing the right thing, we are chivalrous. Well, and then Robin Hood is still we are doing the right thing, but it's more sort of like what is whatever the opposite of lawful? evil is yeah chaotic chaotic, good. chaotic
2: neutral chaotic good um i think that this is also reminding me of the um seeing like a state quote that a nation state is an organization with a monopoly on legalized violence mm. Mm. anyway we're getting like gajillion miles <laughs> off into the woods here with our merry band of, of men but i'm always happy <laughs> nice to nice talk about good job <laughs>
1: But That's yes. fair,
2: but um, I'm going to tell Alex to tell us some things about a thing with a thing. Alex, first temple. Yes, Macy. Of course. I was. Thank I'm just try- translating from Macy. <laughs> <laughs> Macy is in full trash bag mode today. Macy does not apologize, and Macy is permanently in third person yes. now. We we love it. I was just like.
0: Like Macy, you mentioned that sometimes you lose words. Except like the way that you lo- y- the way that you use words when you lose words always strikes me as like stunningly clever. And sometimes you say a thing, and I just have to stop and like marvel at the wonderfulness of that statement. Uh <laughs> Anyway, um...
2: it's it's really not that impressive. It's just trash mouth well, sure. trailing. Anyway, uh, disaster
0: bisexuals. Anyway. So the first TedPole, dear listeners, uh, this is a disastrous episode and this TedPole is also about disasters. The first TedPole is the pilot episode of Firefly, uh, which is beloved to many. And I think that we are all also extremely tired of people talking about it. It is never coming back to TV. People just accept that. Move on. It's fine. There's other things in the world to love. But uh, There are still some interesting things to talk about and say about it. I think mm-hmm. that this is a really good example of the setup to having a found family later on. I don't think that the 14 episodes that were released of Firefly plus Serenity. Well, Serenity, the movie kind of got there because it had to. Uh, <laughs> okay. But there was the, like setting up this this pilot episode. We see so much potential for how these character arcs could have gone. Uh, so you, if you mm. haven't seen it. By some weird coincidence dear listeners. Uh, it is a space opera. By Joss Whedon. And it is about a. Ragtag band of misfits. Uh, who have a, a spaceship yep. together. <laughs> and, uh, and they go sailing around the solar system. Uh, having adventures. And being like borderline illegal most of the time yeah well sometimes they do like more legal things and sometimes they do extremely illegal things you know it kind of goes back and forth
1: (laughs) it's interesting that you talk about it as the beginning of a found family for me it's sort of an in progress like it's an immediate res of a found family because there are some found family dynamics already in place Mm -hmm. but what it's setting up Mm -hmm. is the enlargement Of that family or at least adding in people who will fill some gaps or allow some of the existing bonds to stabilize. Like if you compare it to the pilot of Farscape True, true, true. That's the the beginning. That's really the very very beginning. That's people who do not trust one another, who have little reason to trust one another, who are forced to work together, but they have a lot more time. They have four seasons and a movie to become the found family. Whereas Firefly, I think you're right, had the potential to create something, but just never quite had the space to do it. But we do start with some existing things.
2: Yep. And I think that for me, one of the things like I haven't watched much Firefly, I've kind of seen bits of it over other people's mm. shoulders, you know. Um, and for me, one of the things I was really struck by was how damaged the father figure is. Yes. In this first very much episode. yes. Right? Like Mal, the way that he behaves kind of frankly scared mm-hmm. me in this episode. Um, but there are people around him who care for him deeply and who are trying to help him be better than that. And it isn't really working at no. all in this episode, but I think it does later on in the season
1: somewhat. It struck me for the first time that there is actually a bit of a divide between the way Mal thinks about himself and the way he actually acts. Like there's that, the, oh, end, yeah. the end of the episode where he says to Simon, if I ever kill you, if I ever shoot you, You'll be facing me and you'll be armed when literally five minutes later, he shot a man in the, back, in the head from the back. Mm. And it seems to be that we're meant to be drawing this distinction between, well, now that you're kind of part of my crew, I will treat mm. you differently. But he still thinks of himself as inherently having a code. Yeah, when he is kind of tramping a bit all over that code, even the part of the code that says I treat people in my crew well, because he doesn't really treat his crew well—not really that much at all.
0: Not in this episode, anyway. <laughs> I think we were having an interesting conversation last night in Slack chat about Mal being possibly a Gryffindor who has been burned so hard in terms of the Sorting Hat chat's uh, system—a burned Gryffindor yep. whose morals and and code have been violated so hard that he now does not recognize that there is anything right or good in the world. And so, like, his only recourse is to protect his people. But as soon as you put one toe out of line, you put yourself in danger of not being his people anymore. That's how broken and bad he is at this point in time.
2: And Mm. I think that's why it was so scary to me, because you see him behaving... Particularly with Jane in this one. And I think Jane is one of those characters who never really fully becomes part of the found fa- yeah.
1: family, right? He's always kind of on the outskirts. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and then and later in this season he does actually like break with them for a time. Right. And so you see Jane being on the
2: fringe and being the
1: first to be pushed out. Um
2: there's a dinner table scene in which Jane is being crass and kind of really gross mm-hmm. to Kaylee. And Kaylee is the like, darling of this found family. And so Jane gets shut down quite mm-hmm. harshly. Mm. Um, And I think that there's an interesting point to be made about found families. There's a lot of different ways to build one. But there is definitely... I've seen a lot of them be almost like cliques, right? And we see this in The Magicians, which Freya and I have been kind of watching together, where you have these two main characters, Margot and Elliot, who are super charismatic and amazing friends to have, but if you are not theirs, oh boy.
1: Yeah. That's a not a fun place situation. to be. Mm, I think we're mm. going to talk about this a little bit more when we get to the next 10 but I think a lot of the way the found family starts in Firefly comes from the fact that Mal is consciously or unconsciously still working off a military mindset, which is pointed mm-hmm, out right. to him by Badger in, in this pilot. And the, you can tell because he... The person he leans on the hardest is Zoe because she's very much in this lieutenant role. And he expects mm. loyalty to the crew above everything else mm-hmm. And because he knows that Jane's loyalty is pretty much to money and Jane. That's why he's always on the outside because he has this expectation that you're working you know, towards a higher goal. And you can see that was a part of his character and it has stuck around even though his motivations have been burned.
2: That's a really interesting point because he kind of has built this skeleton and he doesn't realise he's still using it even when the meat on it has burned away. Yeah, that's
1: a really good way of putting it. And I've I found it interesting that thinking about the uh, semi-illegal or outright illegal nature of what they were doing that a lot of found family narratives are those ones with, I guess, benign criminal behaviour. <laughs> I mean, you've got the Robin Hood thing, you have leverage, mm-hmm. and mm. you have all of the Oceans films, you have even black sails. Like, there's this... It's it's a shorthand for an insular community because there's always going to be a problem with you trusting someone on the outside because you're always on the run from the authority, whatever the authority is. And so (laughs) the fact that you're and obviously Farscape is the same. I think that
0: my sort of ongoing theme through this episode is going to be about like structure and character arcs, Uh, because watching the pilot of Firefly, I think that most of the time I think about Firefly as a whole complete thing and i think of it like in terms of the entirety of the character arcs that we got to see rather than this one instant and so it kind of struck me Mm. how broken they are at this point in time um but then i was like well it they have to start out this broken because that's how you have a character arc you have to start out in
2: you can't fix it if it ain't broken (laughs) i think there's a lot of good conversations that have been had since right about how you can do that and still kind of do better than Joss does here mm. towards you know sex workers and just appropriating the whole Chinese language without any actual Chinese people absolutely but like
1: I think I agree from a character standpoint mm. right there are good reasons to start broken and not least because that's what gives you uh, audience investment everyone wants to believe that everyone even if I am broken in one particular way. I can find this. And I wrote a dot point that said it's the anti-lord of the flies. Mm. <laughs> and I think this is what we like about Found Family. Instead of it being, oh, put a bunch of entitled boys on an island and they will eventually end up killing one another, we love the idea of put a lot of slightly broken, untrusting people together and they will eventually end up willing to die for one another.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, although like from a like craft perspective also – having a having all of them be assholes is really playing on like hard mode for yourself so you can have (laughs) all but one of them be an asshole but you need like a hufflepuff at the heart so a kaylee for example who everybody adores and loves so that the reader has someone or the reader or the audience whoever uh has someone to love and identify with and sort of grasp onto until they learn more about the other characters who might be more broken in antisocial ways
2: I think I would only argue that maybe half of them are assholes.
1: I think you're right in that it's good for someone to have the audience to love, but also you need to show have someone that the other characters will love. Yes. It's like if you want to redeem someone, show them being nice to their friends. Or, or a nice dog. nice to their pet. Or, or a dog. <laughs> Kay- I would say Kaylee is the dog of the crew. But <laughs> oh she no, is- that's a bad way <laughs> of no, put no, it. She has a very important role because Mal is such an asshole. Mm-hmm. You see how much he cares for Kaylee. Yes. And Kaylee is so nice and sweet. The fact that Mal cares deeply for her is already a redeeming feature because without that, he would be kind of hard to like as a central protagonist.
2: Which is how you know that Jane is eventually going to land up on the outside because he isn't nice to her. Yeah,
1: to her. Uh, Anyway, yes, let's move on to the next.
2: So our next one is, I think, definitely my favorite Pratchett standalone. I would Um, agree. So this this is a Discworld uh, book about a misfit band of cross-dressing soldiers in a very, like, argumentative little country that has been at war with everyone forever. Uh, And it's called Monstrous Regiment. And in this book... Polly sets out to join the army to find her brother. And she joins this ragtag group of recruits who are clearly scraping the very bottom of the barrel of recruits. They're all useless. They don't have a shoe that fits between them. Uh. And her first... And of course, she has to disguise herself as a boy because you have to be a boy to be a soldier, right? Right. And her first night there... Someone sneaks up behind her and is like, "Here, you'll need these," and hands her a pair of socks. And she's like, "What the fuck?" She's like, "Put them down your trousers for authenticity." <laughs> <laughs> and then so she does.
0: And uh, uh, and then there's but, the whole theme of like this doing doing your thinking with your socks. Socks, yeah. <laughs>
1: It's a wonderful way to have an on-running dick joke that's entirely (laughs) family-friendly. It's It's,
2: so good. Like, kick him in the socks. (laughs) Kick him in the socks. (laughs) But she eventually (laughs) figures out one by one that pretty much every single other member of this recruitment group is also a girl. Yeah. And so it turns out towards the end of a large quantity of the upper brass of the entire army. Oh, spoilers. Without realising it. <laughs> yes, Because spoilers. they ran I, out t- of Monsters Regiment is like 40 years old. Uh, it's such a good book. It's a good, good book. But they have to deal with a lot of just shitty circumstances and terrible living and hunger and fear both of each other because they could be found out and that would be bad and of, you know, going to war. And so they gel into this family over the course of the book in a really powerful way. And also questioning
0: Um, propaganda, both the military propaganda and also religious propaganda. Um, yeah, And that's one of the things that I think helps gel them together as well because they start asking each other questions and having Mm. conversations and wondering... Is this really right? Is this really the truth? Are we really going to fight a note for a noble cause? Yes, everyone
2: mm. says we're winning, and they ask their lieutenant, "Are we lieutenant, winning? Sarge? Are we winning?" And the lieutenant says, "Well, everyone says
1: we're winning." Yeah. Oh, I love the lieutenant in this book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so good, the poor token man. Oh, he's so good. Well, it's true because Patrick could have done a straightforward band of brothers story. So there's that very classic idea of the military unit as found Mm family. The the Band of Brothers, there was a miniseries of that. There was Generation Kill, the miniseries. And there's a lot of stories about that sort of brotherhood of people fighting a war. And sure, that's there. But you're absolutely right in that the more interesting story is they're fighting a secondary war against the preconceptions and about the fact that they are all girls and the fear around that. And I'm going to give you a quote from my favourite book of all time regeneration, uh, which I found very interesting about gender roles in Mm. war, even before you get into the cross-dressing thing and about the idea of family.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So it says, Rivers had often been touched by the way in which young men, some of them not yet 20, spoke about feeling like fathers to their men. Though when you looked at what they did, worrying about socks, boots, blisters, food, hot drinks, and that perpetually harried expression of theirs, Rivers had only ever seen that look in one other place, in the public wards of hospitals, on the faces of women, were bringing up large families on very low incomes, women who in their early 30s could easily be taken for 50 or more. It was the look of people who are totally responsible for lives they have no power to save. One of the paradoxes of the war, one of the many, was that this most brutal of conflicts should set up a relationship between officers and men that was domestic, caring, as Layard would undoubtedly have said, maternal. Oh. Yeah. Oh, shit. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Yes. It's not just about brotherhood. It's about like, about parenthood in the actions yeah. and how people can be made responsible for other people. Oh, it's such, this is it's an amazing, amazing book. But I thought that was really interesting when you set it against monstrous regiment and the fact yeah. that you've got people who are women acting in roles that are male, but doing stuff that is mostly female in quotation marks in terms of what they're doing, like all the cooking and the caretaking and the darning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: But the sergeant keeps saying, you know, they're my little lads, you're my little lads, and I will look after you. God, that fucking
0: kills me every time. Jesus Christ.
1: Uh, Yeah, it is a good book. It's a good book.
2: It's a good book.
1: Mm.
2: But I think it does bring up a question, which is, you know, do people have to have a wound to attach to a found family in this way
0: well it goes back to again like my ongoing theme for the episode that's how you structure a character arc though you can't fix it if it ain't broken but also like the thing that i think freya was saying about people wanting to because we're all flawed and broken and we want to be able to identify with these people and, and feel like mm. even though we are broken we can have a a place in a group
2: mm. yeah
1: yeah and I have yes, I'm going to talk about this top point that I put about Harry Potter, yeah, so I what does this <sighs> mean, <laughs> the Harry Potter epilogue, so Harry Potter, as it was character. an epilogue, ah, oh, I know, just. Shhh, close your eyes it's fine <laughs> so harry potter as a character has so many things about him that would make him perfect for that sort of searching for found family like he's from his parents are dead his home life was bad he is searching for a place to belong he joins a team sport he goes to boarding school full of other people with like fewer authority fewer parental figures around he fights in a war like there are all these things that should make him perfect for a, the to be the heart of a found family, or to be searching for a found family. But instead Rowling sort of says, well look, instead, here is a perfect pre-existing family, which is the Weasleys, and all that's going to happen is that the two other central characters are going to marry into it. And yeah. there's just something less satisfying about it for those of us who want that sort of found family where the epilogue is just like, ta-da! Heterosexuality, well, now you are exactly part of the it. family. It the only existed. real
2: family is man and wife and children yes
1: and you might have had
2: a best bro in school but aren't you glad you've grown up and passed that by now and just uh, flames flames Flames. on On the side of of your face
0: face. anyway back to monstrous regiment though i think that it's a really (laughs) good example um of another like sort of plot structure thing that I personally think is necessary for the process of building a found family, and that is each character having a moment to shine based on their particular skills. Um mm. because we we want to feel like we belong to the group. We want to feel not only that it we, we belong, but that we are valuable to the group, that we are contributing positively right. to the well being of the group. Uh, and so Monstrous Regiment has Bunches of these little moments of people being useful and valuable, for example, Shufti doing the cooking, or uh, Igarina's medical knowledge, or Lofti's proclivity for arson, or Polly's history of <laughs> deliberately performing femininity as self-defense.
1: Yes, I think in Leverage obviously has this as well, this idea that a perfect found family is also a perfect team because everyone has a role. And mm. I think that's why Dungeons and Dragons has become uh, such a big thing again, mm. because there is this appeal of a group of people who are balanced, like everyone, right. you are the bard or you are <laughs> the magic user or whatever, and everyone has a, a role to perform and a skill and gets a chance to shine. And that's how you form the family, by letting everybody perform a, a role that nobody else can take.
0: Right. Mm. Like you are individuals and you are you are praised for your individuality, but also you are embraced as part of the group. Yes. Right.
2: Absolutely. I have a sidebar question, which was, did you two spot lesbians? The lesbians? Loft- there were lesbians in there. Oh, yeah. There were, yes. I hadn't noticed that the first time. Really? Since. Oh, really? Because he isn't actually outright explicit about it. No.
0: No, but it's like... But they are. They are. They are, though. Like, Lofty, Lofty and Tonker, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They are pretty much as... Well, okay, so part of it is also, like, the culture, right? The culture that they're coming from is so... They have all of these religious abominations, and so they are sticking as close together as they possibly can. And I don't think that Polly, who is our main viewpoint character, can quite wrap her head around it. Like, she sees it, but she doesn't want to name it, even in her own perception.
2: Yeah, right. And I was thinking about this because just from, like... The author is dead, but the author isn't dead. Mm. I mean, the author in this case is literally dead. But, <laughs> but uh, also the author isn't know, dead, but mostly. also he is. I'm helping. I'm helping myself. What I the mean author is a is, zombie. Um, Pratchett, Pratchett is part of this, right? And yeah. like the whole thing around the circumstances under which he was writing is part of this. And I was trying to think of like any outright queer couples in Discworld.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I can't think of any. There's a little bit of stuff done with queerness in uh, Unseen Academicals. Mm. Um, with um, the two dwarves or not dwarves who are part of the fashion right, world. Right, and there's yeah, some right. stuff there that possibly like, it, when you read it, it's a little bit difficult. There's definitely queer coding. It's hard to tell if it's actually like same sex coding or if it's trans coding, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there is some stuff there. But again, it's never named and you can argue that, yeah, it's coming from this, like the dwarf culture. It doesn't really have a concept for it, but it's true that Pratchett never like outright push. Oh, like I mean, unseen academicals, there was another queer character like outright queer but not in a relationship
2: but I think that that's one of the things I'm looking at even here in the Pratchett from the 80s is how many of these girls journeys to this state of being away from their family in desperate circumstances and needing the found family is around their sexuality in some way Mm -hmm. because you have one of them who's pregnant Mm. And then at the end decides that she actually doesn't want to marry the boy she was running off to make marry her. She's going to do something else. So she's stepping outside of what's okay. There's the two who are very clearly like Boston marriage, if not outright gay. Mm -hmm. Um, There's the sergeant who doesn't want to go back and declare themselves the mother of the child they'd left behind but goes back and declares themselves the father and it's like are, are we talking about a trans character here are we not I don't know but there's a lot happening there and I think that is something that maybe we want to talk about in the context of the next tentpole as well yes
1: mm. Yeah. so the, the last tentpole is a fanfic for Teen Wolf which I have never ever watched but I have certainly read some fic <laughs> <And> <laughs> there's some is... of that yeah, yeah, there are a few canons where that's just the way it is. So this fic is Stilinski's Home for Wayward Wolves by Al Post again. And this is, again, having not watched the TV show, I find it hard to describe exactly how it fits into um, AU versus canon. But I think it is an AU version of the first two seasons or so of the show yep. where Stiles Stalinsky instead of being... Uh, sort of embedded in the show from the beginning, comes to the town of, what's it called? Beacon Hills. Uh, And sort of is an outsider character who then slowly adopts a pack of werewolves (laughs) by becoming the place that they all go when they're hurt and slowly befriending them all and also becoming the core around which the pack begins to form. Right, And he slowly starts to also befriend the alpha of the pack, Derek Hale, essentially via everybody else yeah. and it is a sh- it's a shippy fic in the end but most of it is about this idea of a slowly forming family and a slowly forming pack and how you make a dysfunctional fat pack functional by turning it into a family by turning it into a family yeah and, and there's a lot of fics in this fandom that are about that idea of packers family
0: Mm. And it goes back to the thing that we were talking about, um, or we almost, we brushed against it when we were talking about Firefly, but there's a character who is the heart, right? right. And so mm. at the beginning of this fic, the pack does not have a heart, and Styles almost immediately becomes that person. Uh, and Derek tries to reject him and try, off page, tries to get his pack to, like, say that person is not part of our pack, but they all say, yes, he is. He's... This person, he's ours.
1: And I found interesting in that you drew a comparison to Kaylee in Firefly being the the team mom, the heart. Both Kaylee in Firefly and Styles in this fic are also directly tied to the hearth, the domestic home Mm, that is... That is the the found family's home. Like Styles's house becomes the place, the refuge that they all go to. And Kaylee is directly tied to Serenity, the spaceship, and the engine, and by, the engine room by, specifically. By the engine, yeah. Holy and shit! So you have,
0: oh fuck, yeah. Freya, that's good. Yeah. Oh, well done, Freya.
1: <laughs> and then I was tr- I was trying to have a think about can you do this with Polly? And you can't really because they're always on the move. But Polly is a an innkeeper. That's true. Again, she's related to this whole idea of hearth and welcoming. And even though she takes those skills on the move, she still has those skills of making people at home.
2: And she's um, the one who finds them the things that they need. She's their quartermaster
1: equivalent, like unofficial. Yes, and the quartermaster kind of is it. They become the heart of the camp. Right. She's the one who has
2: to find the coffee when the vampire is jonesing and... Yeah. So that that was an interesting parallel that I saw. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. That's really very good, Freya.
2: <laughs> but I think that this is something that the show of Teen Wolf does as well, which it asks the question of which high school kids end up in the werewolf pack. Right? Mm-hmm. Because um what does happen at the end of season 1 um in the show is Derek Hale goes looking for more kids to add to his pack. And he finds these three kind of social outcasts. Uh, That's Erica, um, Boyd, and... Oh, what's his name? Isaac, yes. I was like, Lucas. No, that's the wrong word. (laughs) And so they all are kind of outsiders. And they get drawn together much more easily because of it.
1: Yeah, and that's interesting because I mean, looking at it from a more cynical point of view, if you were gonna be turning vampires or, or werewolves or whatever it is, you're looking for the outsiders or the ones whose families don't particularly have contact with them because you're looking for the people who won't be missed. Yep. But from a narrative point of view, you're looking for the broken people who you can turn into a nice family. Ah, Why not both? <laughs> if
2: we want why to be fucked both? up about things.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I liked in this story was that part of what Siles was doing, and again, semi-consciously but semi-unconsciously, was allowing the pack to form in in such a way that you started seeing other members of it interact in ways Mm -hmm. they hadn't Mm -hmm. previously. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's what I like about found family stories, especially in long-running narratives where you suddenly get an episode, let's say, where two members of the group who haven't interacted much before get to have their time together. So you can see what's the dynamic like between these two people and so you do get a really strong sense of what all the interconnections look like.
0: Are we all thinking of that Leverage episode where where Parker and Elliot get trapped in the ice together?
1: <laughs> yes.
2: I mean, yes. when am I not? But it's such a good episode. It is it a really very good is.
1: episode. Leverage did do that quite well. Allowed sort of people to pair off in new ways and have yeah. conversations and deepen dynamics. But yeah, I and mean, mm-hmm. I
0: think this goes back to what we were talking about with the difference between a ragtag band of misfits and a found family because you can't you need like the interpersonal relationships between like the quote-unquote lesser members of the team rather than just the relationship between the beta wolves
2: and the alpha wolf. Yeah, yeah and, and interwoven Thing that has multiple points of connections is far yeah, stronger a web. than a network that relies on top down.
1: Yes, mm. and and look, fanfic loves a found family. Like there are lots and lots of fanfics that can do that really well because they have mm-hmm. the space to explore mm. those lesser in quotation marks dynamics. And I actually went looking on AO3, and the tag "found family" by itself has over seven thousand. <laughs> fix under the main tag alone and there are lots and lots and lots of freeform tags with variants on found family or that contain the words found family cool yeah
2: well i wanted to ask a little bit more generally like there are so many pieces of media with groups of people in them and i find a hard time even thinking of those that don't have found family in some sense Mm. but do we need some sort of melting pot, some sort of furnace, some adversity to catalyze a found family formation? Or is that just a way to make it happen fast when you don't have much space?
0: From a craft perspective, yes, you
2: absolutely need adversity because adversity is the fuel of plot. And I'm going to, for the third time, Out of this episode that you have said this, Alex, this time I'm going to challenge you. Okay. Because I maintain that the formation of the found family does not have to be plot.
0: Okay. All right. Tell me
2: more. I'm willing to hear your argument. There does not need to be... There doesn't need to be the action plot, the driver for the entire story, for there to be a satisfactory narrative of... A found family coming together. There can be tensions on an interpersonal level. There can be like smaller things that fire off and resolve. And there can be like internal conflict. You can have a found family formation in a coffee shop, AU. Eh, no, but those count as adversity too, don't they? That's not what I was talking about when I say a pressure cooker situation. Okay, like, this, you have may be, danger this may be this may be
0: one of those situations where Alex and Macy are using two different dictionaries to mean <laughs> <laughs> a very slightly nuanced different A words. Coffee Shop AU does not have adversity. Well, okay, that's true. Most of the time it does not. Classically, no, it does not.
1: Yeah. And look, I think part of that's because a Coffee Shop AU is closer to reality for most of us. And let's be honest, if you're talking about found families that are created among Communities, especially queer communities, mm. and you know, all of us sort of ragtag queer millennials mm. who are just looking for our found family. Yeah, we're not you expecting know, expecting the... to be—we're not expecting to be thrown into a pressure cooker and have to save the world. Like, it is nice to watch I mean, found families in form one. in a way that they might actually form in real life. But I agree that it—that adversity can speed it up from a narrative perspective.
2: And that's an interesting point because I will use an example of a found family for me in in real life that doesn't look like friendship group because not all families look like friendship group. True. And that's my viable paradise class. Mm -hmm. And I think Alex, you've seen this at conventions.
0: I have. Yes. I have seen several viable paradise groups
2: and they do tend to sort of congregate in the same way, (laughs) but specifically VP 20, my class. So uh, listeners, this was a one week workshop. We were in an isolated location together. We were under a fair amount of pressure together. And we came through it. It was fine. It was a writing workshop. We weren't getting eaten by zombies. But I can not talk to them for like three years and then ping them. And it's like, hey, buddy, you're back. And I can tell them, you know, hey, this is my friend. They're new at this convention. Will you look out for them if I put that on my classmate chat? And suddenly Alex gets adopted
1: at the Nebula Con. I mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> know, it's a human psychology thing of people becoming close under... Stress, And I'm right. sure that's related to that book you keep telling me to read about A Paradise Built in Hell, I about do. terrible situations, creating communities. Um, but I also I thought about within this context, this the idea of creating a family within adversity. This mm. is why team sports narratives are quite satisfying and they produce found families. So there's a lot of team sports movies and things that will end up with a found family dynamic. And I recently accidentally watched an entire season of an anime about Team Marathon running, which I was not expecting to watch or enjoy, but it was sold to me very well by someone whose tastes I trust. It's called Run With The Wind. Of course course it is. is. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's about a found family, ragtag bunch of whiskers who all end up in the same boarding house at a university. And then it turns out they have all been manipulated into staying there by the team captain who's like oh by the way if you're staying here that means you have to be part of the track and field team oh look we've got enough people to do this very famous like team marathon event <laughs> how fortuitous everybody go for a 10 mile run right now <laughs> and I, love anime. It's, I, love, I love anime I love so anime.
2: Much. team captains they are the worst human beings imaginably and i love yes. them
1: well this is a really charming charming show it's quite short it's just a single season anime again, Freya. i'm coming to of, where you live people doing personal growth and it's quite gay the point of view character and the team captain are like definitely i'm gonna involved. get sam hawke to put frogs in your shoes i would recommend this anime darling listeners i will come and talk to me about it once you have seen it i will it's bribe lovely. sam with cake But it has a great found family and a lot of team sports narratives, both in anime and in other media, have that because there's a clear it's us against someone else. Or we have to make it to regionals or we have to make it to the grand final. We have not we have managed not to mention Glee so far, which I think is very good. Can I very,
0: very briefly (laughs) sidebar about my favorite (laughs) anime, my favorite like teen sports anime ever? Macy, do you want to guess what it is? You'll be wrong. Say what? Haiku? No, I've never seen it. Huh. It's not Prince of Tennis either. Um, which Is what is I th- the swimming one? It is not the swimming one, no. See, it, there are a lot of these. There are a lot of these, no. It is one that you've is never heard Bible? of. It's called Yakitate Japan. It's about oh, bread baking.
2: That's not a fucking team sport!
1: Alexander Except here's Bolin, the thing, no, I no, know no. where
0: you live! <laughs> it, is, it is a deliberate satire of the entire shonen sports genre. And it is structured exactly like a sports anime. Does one of
2: them it have is... a bread attack that's like gravitational waves? Yes. Oh my god.
1: That's beautiful. Every time... At the same time. Like you're talking about it as satire, but like all of the great British bake-off like groups have exactly the same viable paradise, yeah. like stuck in a pressure cooker, bonding with each other, yeah. found family thing. You watch them humans on after the humans are social monkeys and then you're like, oh, they've all adopted each other.
0: Anyway, uh, shall we say some other smart things <laughs> on this episode? Face. Macy is just, has melted. M- Macy has oh, melted onto her Macy desk.
2: is having Prince of Tennis flashbacks. It's fine. I mean, I'm constantly having Prince of Tennis flashbacks. Do you want to be more specific? Yeah, just like all of the different schools and like silver <laughs> pair versus fucking Echizen, who no one wants to talk to. And no I one just, has any interest in Etchizen. With Echizen, like paired with people. And I'm like, I want to go to their home and be like, are you all right? There are so many other options in your life.
0: I once sat down and counted how many characters there are are in that show. 126. Six of them were women. It was a very bad show.
1: (laughs) Oh my god. I have never watched Prince of Terror. You
0: shouldn't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um,
2: I miss miss Hikaru no Go and their little Go-playing found family of disasters. Um, But everyone's a found family. And I was thinking about this earlier and I was trying to think like what of the... Ensemble shows that I watch are not found families. Freya, I posit that Black Sails is not a found family. I think it has
1: a few very small found family units within it.
2: It has some romantic units. It has precisely one that's got a platonic element, which I would say is Bonnie and Jack and What's-His-Face-Who-Gets-Hanged spoilers um
1: (laughs) yeah it totally works when you say spoilers after the thing listen it's been like years okay okay no i can see where you are coming from there because there is not really that sense of loyalty to a crew and even the ones who have a sense of loyalty outside of pure selfishness have loyalty to concept right which is more of that ragtag bunch of misfits thing you were talking about before
2: right and even their slytherins change loyalty and so I think that part of how it does it is that the large groups of people that you're dealing with are frequently in conflict with each other whereas almost all of our found family shows are in conflict with the other rather than with in conflict inside the main
1: cast and Mm, I think that makes a huge difference. Mm, I think if Black Sails was more about one particular group of the pirates versus the outside or the British East Indian Trading Company or the British government then yes, I think it would be more of a found family from that sense, but it doesn't take that easy-ish route. It makes it more complicated.
2: But I think it's interesting compared to the, like, teams are a unit where everyone fills in the blanks for everyone else, because Black Sails kind of creates and then disbands a whole bunch of teams in various different ways, but they are never the found family. They might fill in each other's blanks for that one mission, but not, like, none of them let down their guard and have that vulnerability to kind of leave their flank open permanently to say, no, Mm. you've got the organizing bit. I'm just going to own that I'm not good at that. I'm just going to step back and you just permanently have it that a found family can get to. Mm. Yeah.
1: I'd be really interested to think about The Hunger Games from that perspective as well (laughs) because Hunger Games never really makes it to found family. No, because they're they're all dying all the time. Because they're all dying all the time. But it kind of approaches it in the second... (laughs) but again it's about like a small group of people having to be against an external danger and then everyone just disintegrates again right you had a point here about leverage Freya Um, this was something that I said that I think Macy wanted to like take a spin off because we were talking about leverage and we were talking about who plays what role like a family role but also like role in the crew and it's kind of hard to define exactly who is who, like there's this idea that, yeah, Nate is the team dad and Sophie is the team mum, which I disagree with. Sophie is a very involved wine aunt. Mm -hmm. She is nobody's Mm -hmm. mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And like what kind of sibling roles do Elliot and Parker and Mm -hmm. Hardison fill. And it's interesting because all of these people taken separately would be kind of the bossy oldest sibling. Like they would be the one who is stepping up, taking charge, you know, solving a problem. And when you do see them operating independently among the normal people, They do that. They all step into a kind of leadership role. And then you put a group of very capable people who can all be the leader into a group together. It's interesting about how the family dynamics play out. Mm. And I think it's just because of who Nate is that Nate ends up the de facto leader of that group. Yeah,
2: I think he's a control freak. Yeah, that's that's a mood. Has either of you ever played doubles tennis or badminton?
0: No, but I've watched a lot of Prince of Tennis. very
2: badly. So part of it, I will then comp an astolat fic in a moment to make up for this lack of background. Um, But part of it is if you want to be any good at doubles, you have to learn to let go of hitting the ball. That's not what Prince of Tennis taught me. Prince of Tennis tennis does not understand how tennis works. And I will do not learn to play tennis from fucking Prince of Tennis. Prince of Tennis taught
0: me that to play doubles well, you have to be fucking your doubles partner.
2: partner. Yes. That is not true. <laughs> Darling listeners, please do not feel that this is a necessity or like a requirement of the sport or any kind of like casting yeah. aspersions no, I any sibling for a teams summer that we and may that know. Was quite
1: good. And then they tried to get me to let go of hitting the ball for so somebody else could hit it, and I refused. No. And they were like, go back to us. Okay.
2: I'm gonna talk instead about an astolat fake then. Because Sorry, you two are
1: both useless.
2: Go. Both useless. I love you both, but you're useless. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, The Astolat fic The sequel to And I Alone Have Escaped to Tell You is A oh, fic yeah. in which Our robot lieutenant Our perfect robot lieutenant Our noble, bright, glorious Second in command um, Fights a bunch Of other robots in a simulation With his overlord and then they fuck That's basically the fic It has been a long time since we mentioned robot boners Specifically I My my point was there is this glorious section of the fic where the lieutenant notices that his overlord has stopped defending himself completely and given his defense to the lieutenant and is overwhelmed with a sense of privilege. To have been given That's this gift by the overlord. good
1: fealty bullshit right there. Right,
2: great fealty bullshit. What some I'm saying is that leaving that gap in your defenses, right, yeah. letting there be a hole and trusting that the other people in your group will catch you, yes. that is found family. Yes. And that is what
1: is different from a team.
0: Yes, I would agree. That's
1: a good point because, yeah, you see the leverage crew go through that from the beginning mm-hmm. to the end we of the learn series. It. At the beginning they are a team – and by the end, they have that trust. That's a really good point. Hmm. That's what tennis is like
2: for people who aren't fucking Etchazen. No one is fucking Etchesen. He's an infant.
1: Leave the poor boy alone. Anyway, he's also intolerable. Oh, now I want to like make an extended metaphor about synchronized oh my ice God, skating. God, I'm going to. Which I would also be terrible at. Let's be honest. <laughs> none of you macy are allowed so to do any
2: form us. of community sports there would be orgies <laughs> on the court <laughs> let you're me tell all you. disowned
0: macy let me tell you about how magical bread baking has anything to do with this
2: <laughs> macy save us last stop please. okay is, is is bread breaking toxic not uh, bread breaking that's what you do with your found family bread baking
0: bread baking sometimes actually it is on this bread baking anime there was a magical bread which was so good that it kills you temporarily for like a couple hours and you go to heaven and you hang out in like a strip club and then it brings you back to life
2: that's literally a fucking orgasm alex that's just a fucking <laughs> orgasm that's not yeah. more but like hours long oh, i'm my gonna god. make you watch this this anime it's so good. i'm not gonna watch that anime I you just absolutely can't. are trust oh, me oh my god i bet it has yaoi hands in it not
0: really, no, it's not that sort of anime. Does it have, like, sensual needing Oh my god.
2: Yes. Loads. Like, you loads. You get There's on also... topic! Get on topic! Sorry. I will crack the
1: whip! Uh, all right, Unlike the British Parliament, question. which has no whips anymore, but hey. Is about the idea of <laughs> toxic found families. So, can you have a toxic found family or a found family narrative where <laughs> things go wrong? Would that make an interesting or satisfying story?
0: Where it ends up that they're still toxic or where they start toxic, but then they do learning and growing and changing.
1: I think for this one, it has to be more that the toxicity is either all the way through or Or that that it becomes toxic. Mm. So we're talking about an opposite to what we've been talking about so far.
0: So I think that, uh, I mean, I have a lot of feeling about... Antes this week like <laughs> the the fandom morality police as it were uh the people who think that everything has to be like morally good and pure and righteous and that you're never allowed to write about anything hard or challenging or, or toxic bad. or bad right um because then you're a bad person who is like putting hurt into the world uh or you have to like i read a so this amazing Twitter thread by, uh, at Dynamic Symmetry, uh, about antis and about, uh, writing about things that are are difficult and and bad and how it's important that we are able to do that because even if we we are writing about these these toxic communities, it gives us a way to sort of process the experience of being in one of those toxic communities in a safe environment and it gives us practice at witnessing what they're like recognizing what they're like and sort of
2: emotionally coping with them i mean that's the thing that i was going to get get at which is um i worry sometimes that narratives that emphasize only the good ways that things can happen make it almost impossible to admit to yourself that something bad is happening to you yes. and that you need to get out
1: yep but also, also from uh what makes a good story perspective going going back to harry potter actually there's a lot of fanfic written from the marauders era mm. and especially things like the shoebox project I find that interesting because it is much more of a classic found family, but it has an inbuilt tragedy sure. and an inbuilt dissolution. Right, Like you have a group of four people who are from different backgrounds who come together and find a family while they are at school and become very close, but you know it's going to end with one of them betraying the others, one of them dying, and one of the others believing that his best friend is, you know, an evil traitor who is right. now in jail. Like there's this... Not necessarily a toxicity, but there is an inbuilt weakness Mm -hmm. and an inbuilt tragic ending to that story. But people were still very interested in telling the story of what was how the found family formed, but because you knew it was going to fall apart. But
2: that's a fascinating um, strength of transformative fiction, right? That's like a meta narrative that you can't have anywhere else. But it's super cool. Like the, the absolute perfect foreknowledge of what is going to happen mm-hmm. has a note mm. that kind of suffuses the whole story.
1: Yeah. And again, about being able to reflect what happens to people in real life. You can have very close, like almost sort of, I'm trying to think, not necessarily toxic, but almost codependent, intimate intimate friend- friendship groups yeah. that then fall apart. That is a thing that happens in real life a lot. Yep. And so I think you can get quite an interesting story and also a realistic story about how found family, because it can be so intense and because it's not just, well, this was my family that I was born into. I have the right to walk away if it's not good for me, because there's an element of choice you yeah. get those geek social fallacies of we should stick together we are the people we have chosen if i left i another. would be
2: abusive like the people who were bad to my friends in the first place or i yeah, would have to admit like, that this wrong. was a choice i made for myself
1: mm-hmm. unmaking that choice is very difficult yeah. yeah yeah or admitting that you chose badly yeah you can't choose your parents you can choose your friendship group but you have to be able to choose when they're no longer your friends you
2: have to be able to keep choosing i think that's one thing that's hard to realize sometimes is that a choice is not a thing you make once
0: yeah it's a thing that you Mm. make every day and like with a family too like you can decide not to be part of a family anymore like that's something that you have to keep choosing and working out every day as well um but we have come to the end of the episode darling darling listeners and dear serpents and you know, we started out super tired, but you know how we got through this? <laughs> With the power of friendship. Oh, yes. Aww. Oh. Oh. Uh. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we did it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. You know, I could ramble about the power of friendship or be embarrassingly sincere about the found families that I have found or founded. But I think the real moral of this episode is just that Macy really needs to watch the amazing bread baking anime. Uh, anyway, we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence, on October 16th, we'll be discussing the really camp side of goth. If you want to prepare in advance, one of the tent poles for that episode is Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations... Contact us at serpentcast at at SerpentCast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And, by the way, it's okay if you feel like the weird one in your family. We can be weird together.